Amen. If you're thankful for the cross this morning, say amen. Amen. What a beautiful song of worship this morning. Um, I do want to share just uh, one announcement. Um, It is in your bulletin, but just as a reminder, um, starting uh, tomorrow, uh, Monday evening, uh, the next uh, session of Grief Share starts tomorrow. And so uh, they finished their first session, they're starting their second one. And if you are uh, dealing with the loss of a loved one, this could be a spouse or a family member, a friend, a child, um, or if you know someone that is dealing with the loss of a loved one, uh, this ministry is, is perfect for you or for them to be able to come together and speak through these things, talk through these things from a biblical point of view, and be able to be encouraged and strengthened uh, through that season of, of grief and through that season of confusion and doubt and even anger. Um, and so if you're interested at all in something like that or you feel like that a ministry like that would be an encouragement to you, uh, you can see uh, Lynn Atwell or Julie Johnson, who's down teaching uh, our four- and five-year-olds class. And so talk to them this morning. If you're interested, give the office a call tomorrow. We'd love to talk to you more about that. So again, next session of Grief Share starts tomorrow night. Um, And again, that's all in the bulletin as well. So this morning, uh, just so excited for today. Um, And I've been thinking about this honestly since uh, last Sunday morning and and something honestly that our missionary, Ben Layer, missionary to Poland, shared last week that was such an encouragement to me. And all all the rest of the day on Sunday, I was just praying, Lord, how would we use this or how would we speak through this? And so this week, the Lord kind of laid on my heart uh, to go a direction this morning. And I, I pray it's, it's honestly a blessing to you. But really, honestly, I'm kind of building off of something that he said last week. And I'm going to reference a few things that he said uh, in the introduction this morning. And I want to encourage you, if you missed last week's message, if you were out of town or, or busy or vacationing or whatever it was, um, we want to encourage you, go online, northgoodland.org or our app, Northgoodland BC in your app store, check that message out. It was such an encouragement to hear Ben share. Um, You also get to see a video update of the ministry in Poland. And I loved that because we got to hear from people that he's actually been ministering with and ministering to currently. Um, They are in three church plants. And so the third church plant is very, very new. Um, I think he said they have maybe five members, um, very small. It's not really even Um, what we would call like a church church yet. They're still just meeting more like Bible studies kind of a thing. Um, But he specifically shared about need for prayer for that, that the Lord will continue to work. And I believe he told me, uh, he might've mentioned in the service or at lunch that when they get back, they're going to have a baptism service. That might've been in the service. And they're going to have some in that new church be baptized as followers of Christ and join the church and take that next step. And so be praying for Ben and Sarah Lair. Uh, they head back to Poland in August. And so be praying for them. And uh, they also are of that age where their, their children are kind of graduating from high school, off to college, doing that next phase of life. And so be praying for them as well during that transition. Uh, but it was so great to have him with us last week. And so if you missed that, check that out. But to start this morning, I want to ask kind of a simple question. So I don't do a lot of PowerPoint, but I do have a PowerPoint for us. So we'll see if it works. Okay. So I want to ask you a question. Which of these images looks better? Okay. So which of these images is more appealing and more pleasing to the eye? So this image or that image, first or second image, which one's more appealing? It's a good looking family, right? I found this picture. I thought, man, that's a good-looking family. I'll use that this morning. So such a nice-looking family. Um, the, the mom in the picture really carries the rest of the group, really, if we're being honest. Um, without her, it probably would be pretty, 
pretty awful to look at. But um, no offense to Anthony, but um, well, we're like twins. So, I mean, it's, it is what it is. But um, obviously, the second image is more appealing. And this is actually our, our picture that was taken on Mother's Day. And so some of you were able to do that. So what a blessing that was. But we were able to get our picture taken as a family. And I, I love this illustration because I hope it rings true for you. The reason the second image is more appealing is because it's in focus. And so what we want to talk about this morning is simply family focus. Having a family focus. Now, I want to explain a little bit about why we're going through this, because I believe it's important that in our world today, especially, that we understand a biblical view of family. Man, our world has really missed this, and it's not a new thing that they're missing. They've been missing this for a long, long, long time. And you can go back as far as you want. Whatever era that you grew up in that you feel like was this amazing time to grow up in, I, wanna, I don't want to pop your bubble, but I want to be real with you. There was still sin then. There was still brokenness then. Maybe you grew up in an era, though, where some of that brokenness was kept really, really tucked behind closed doors. Now, a lot of that is just more open. It's just more in your face. But by the way, we have been broken as a world since Genesis chapter 3. We have fallen into sin since Genesis 3. So any era you could go back to and say, man, this era. But, but when I grew up, and I know what you mean, and I do believe that things have in some ways, in a lot of ways, gotten worse. But brokenness and sin and dysfunctional families, that's not a new thing. And so I, I believe that as followers of Christ, we can take our minds and, and focus them in our hearts, focus them in on our families in a biblical way to help us to understand our calling as followers of Christ. Ben Lair shared, while teaching us the value and importance of serving Christ right where you are, what an amazing point that was to let us know that, hey, it doesn't matter where you are. You don't have to be a church planner to make an impact for Christ. Now, if God's calling you to be a church planner, then you need to surrender that call and, and move forward down that process. But you don't have to be serving in foreign missions to make an impact for Christ. You don't have to be up here preaching Sunday after Sunday to make an impact for Christ. You don't have to be an upfront type personality to be able to make an impact for, wherever you are and whatever God has called you to, you can make an impact for Christ right now. Maybe you're here and, and as a stay-at-home mom and, and you are raising your children and, and maybe even homeschooling them. You are making a generational impact for Christ. Whatever your position, wherever you are, maybe you go to work every single day and you work in an office or you work in a shop or you do different things or you do landscaping or construction or whatever it is. Teacher. And we said this before, by the way, Christian teachers in public schools, we need to be praying for them. Lifting them up. Christian educators, superintendents, and principals, and leadership in public schools. Because you know what a lot of Christians have done? They've just said, we're giving up. There's no hope. We're just going to walk away from it all. And heaven forbid when we think God can't move in some way. We need to be praying for these Christian teachers that are making an eternal impact for Christ. In our men's study here many weeks ago. It was amazing to hear that 
someone that's a pastor in, in the community, an older gentleman who subs at different schools in, in the Emily City area, was in a classroom and a student just out of the blue found out and knew because he had got to know him from previous classes and previous uh, semesters of being in school there that he was a Christian man, a pastor. And he went to him after class or before class, whatever it was, and said, how do you, how do you know you have eternal life? So don't tell me we don't need Christians in the public school. It's desperately needed. And this individual, just because he was just fulfilling a job, a vocation, was able to make an impact for Christ. So wherever you are, don't think, I'll serve God when I get to this position or that career or that opportunity. No, every single day you can make an impact for Christ. Because it's not you doing it. As we said before, even the things we do for him are done by grace in us working out into the lives of others. And when he was sharing that, he talked about the idea that God can use you right where you are to build his kingdom when we surrender to him, to the Lord. And Ben said, there are two institutions that God ordained in this world for his glory and to the building of his kingdom. Those are the small family unit and the local church. He said this, and I had to go back and rewatch it to make sure I got the wording as closely as I could because I love this. He said, it's a glorious thing when a young Christian couple leave their parents' uh, parents' home and go off and plant a new Christian family. I love that terminology. Not start a family, but plant a Christian family. Just like missionaries go all over the world and plant a church. I love that terminology. And, And to be honest, I hadn't really heard it said quite that way before. And even after service, talking to him and kind of him expounding more on that with me, I just was so encouraged to think about it that way. And I love that way of thinking. When we think about our families as being Christian families that have been planted, it reminds us that there is purpose in how we face everyday life in our families. We, as Ben said, pour our lives into our families and local church. So why do we do that? Why do we want to wake up every single day and have purpose and drive? John said it last week. John Belasco said it yesterday that, that we need to set goals and then our values are reinforcing those goals. And so if we change a goal in Christ, God's going to help us to realign our values so that we're living every day with this all-in, focused determination. Not, I'm going to do this, right? But no, no, God has set this before me and that's a worthwhile thing for his glory. I'm going to pursue that thing. And there was, uh, there was so much that was said, and I hope I don't butcher this, but I believe you said that, that discipline always brings freedom. Am I getting that right? Okay. And I absolutely love that. And, and he pointed out this can apply to all kinds of things, finances, health and wellness, different things. But as a follower of Christ, do you know what discipline looks like when you don't feel like reading the word? because your flesh is battling you or a situation, you know what you do as a follower of Christ? You say, Lord, forgive me for this feeling of apathy. Draw me closer to you. I'm going to get in your word. And through that, would you enlighten me to how I can grow, how I can change, how my attitude can change today? You know, I don't feel like praying for so-and-so because they're kind of a jerk. They're kind of mean. By the way, the Bible says we need to pray for everyone, all men especially those in authority over you. That includes the president you may or may not like. 
Your liking of him has nothing to do with you praying for him. Because God has called you as that as a follower of Christ. So what does discipline look like? I pray because I'm called to pray to honor him and serve him and to worship him. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be disciplined in that. And you know what happens when we do that consistently in those areas of our lives? We are free. We live free for Christ. And so when we talk about the family, and if you want a Christ-like family, a Christ-like home, that takes discipline. That takes effort. That takes looking into God's word and saying, okay, what is God's plan? How many of you guys planted a garden this year? Any garden planters? Okay. How many of you are happy with what you're seeing come out of the ground yet? Anyone frustrated it's not coming up like you thought? Okay, that's kind of us. We're like 50-50 over here. I don't know what happened. We put it in the ground. Everything was good. And all of a sudden, nothing. Do you plant something in the ground with no expectation of something coming from that? Of course not. You plant something in the ground with what? There's a purpose in this. I plant this so that in two months or three months or however long it's going to be, there's going to be a result from this. There's purpose in the planting. And so when we talk about planting a Christian family, there's purpose in that. There's a a drive, a desire to see this produce something. And ultimately produce fruit that's glorifying to the Lord. See, why? Why do we need to pour our lives into our families in our local church? So that Christ is known and he is glorified. So that we will continue to grow in our knowledge of him. We will make him known to other people in our communities and in our jobs, in our areas of influence. And ultimately, all of it is for his glory above everything else. And so I want to be kind of a little bit more of an overview this morning. I want to kind of take us on a little bit of a journey through scripture. And I want to talk about some key things that I believe that we can understand from God's word about having a family. We're going to talk a lot about under the husband and wife and kids and all. So first, as a follower of Christ, I'm submitting nothing takes first place but Christ. And so we're going to walk this out, but I don't want you to think, okay, I'll start with the family and work back into me. That doesn't work. We start with us and our personal walk with Christ, and that leads to then the extension of family, community, church, and so on. And so my first encouragement to you, we're not even really going to spend time on it in the message, is just what's your personal walk with Christ look like? So this is just for you right now. Your individual, don't tell me about your husband's walk, your kids, that they're doing for devotions. No, no, no. Family prayer time, all good. What's your personal walk with the Lord? Do you have a daily time you spend with him? Just you and his word and you in prayer. I'm I'm just going to tell you from God's word, if you don't start there, you can do all the other things. You can read all the books, all the strategies, all the things you want to try to apply. I promise you from God's word, that's the only authority we can look to, it will not work. It has to start first with our individual heart and your spouse's individual heart and your children's individual walk. And we said this before, so many people have used, used uh, the verse in Proverbs, train up a child in the way they will go and when they're old, they won't depart from it as a weapon against parents who raised their kid in a Christian home and the child went wayward and they use it as a weapon to beat them up and tear them down. What if you would have just done this better? That's not what that proverb teaches. 
It also is not a guarantee that if you did everything quote-unquote right, that when they get to a certain age, that they're automatically going to come back. That's not what that teaches either. Because it's not a promise, it's a proverb. And a proverb is a wisdom teaching that says, more often than not, if you do this, this is the result. But it is not a guarantee. And so if you're here today and you're saying, man, preacher, I... I've already blown it. My kids are of a certain age and I, I should have done this. I should have done, I'm not walking with the Lord like I should. I missed it. We said it before. Every single day there's new mercies and new grace and a chance to be restored and to start anew. And so don't let yesterday's disappointments and failures rob you of today's victory of walking with Christ. We all could look back. I, no, not one parent in this room or grandparent could stand and say, no, preacher, I did it all right. Never blew at once. Always had a biblical response. Always showed grace. Always showed the perfect balance of love and truth. I never missed it. Now, if you did try to stand and say that, we'd bring you to the altar and pray over you because you're lying. (laughs) No one's got it perfect. So this is not about beating ourselves up. What is this? What does God's word lay forth as the ideal? What are we striving for? Of course we've blown it. Of course we've not done it perfect. But we can start today. And if you're a grandparent here today, don't you dare for a second think that your influence is lessened in your grandchild's life. Man, I love that Dave shared. By the way, did you hear he's turning 70 this year? (laughs) I heard that somewhere this morning. I love that he said, I remember when my grandfather was 70. And we were talking about that this morning that a pastor, a very famous pastor, took his first church at the age of 29. And he's, I believe he's 84 now. Very famous pastor. And it dawned on me that what a testimony of just living for Jesus. And I was thinking about that. Like I'm 41. And in order, amen. And in order to, (laughs) in order to hit what this pastor has done, I have to go another 43 years ministering in the church. And I thought about that, like, Lord, thank you for that reminder that as long as we have breath in our lungs, we can make an impact for Christ. There is no age where you become unusable to God. By the way, teenagers in here today, you don't have to reach 18 to be used for Jesus. Those kids in our junior church class down here, my wife was led to the Lord. I don't know why I always get emotional about this. But my wife was led to the Lord by a seven-year-old girl. By the way, a public school kid that she met on the bus, invited over and led her to Christ. And so again, we, don't, we, we cannot think this way that, oh, once I get to a certain age, then I'll be usable or I'm beyond usability. There's no such thing with Christ. It's all about surrender. And that's not even in the notes. I don't even know where that came from. But here's what I want to do. I want to walk through this this morning, and I want us to help us understand the, the view of biblical family. Now, again, what we most likely will do is, is we're going to maybe break this one up a little bit. This may turn into a series. I honestly don't know where the Lord's going to lead. But I just want to walk through this this morning because the first thing, and there are notes available on the app as always. And so if you'd like to follow along there, you can. The verses will be up on the screen. And so um, I won't have page numbers for you this morning, but we'll just kind of read them together. So the first thing we have to note is that this idea of family, this focus on the family from the word of God is evident from 
creation. This is evident from creation itself. And we see this. Um, yeah, that's the right verse. So what are we reading God's word about God creating mankind? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So here we see the creation of mankind. This is the very first forming of human life. And by the way, side note, God doesn't seem very confused on this issue. There's not a spectrum in God's mind. There are two, male and female, distinct, beautiful, wonderful, creative. There's no reason we need to take God's design and try to fix it. He knows what he's doing. And so here we read on, on day six of creation that God created man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils and man became a living soul. However, we realize shortly in this creation account in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 that something was not fully good. Remember at the end of every day, it's good, it's good, it's good. And at the end of the week, it's very good. But something was missing after the creation of mankind. Mankind was not complete. Now, this does not mean that God was unaware or needed to learn what man needed. God knew what man needed to be complete, but I believe God wanted Adam to realize something was missing. After naming the animals, Adam realized he did not have a helpmeet. He did not have a partner. And so we read in Genesis 2:18. And the Lord God said, it is not good. So there's that idea of this is not finished. This is not complete yet. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And so this word helpmeet literally could mean completer. One who completes. One who fulfills. Now this account in Genesis chapter 2 actually takes us back to day 6. So some people have been confused by this. When you read Genesis 1, then you read Genesis 2, you're like, is this a second account of creation or is this a different creation account? This is, chapter 2 is expounding on the creation account in chapter 1. And so on day 6, we read it already, 127, God created man and woman. In chapter 2, God reveals to us how that looked and what that sounded like as far as how he went about creating woman. I also need to note here that God made woman from the side of man. It says that God put man into a deep sleep. It's interesting to note, he never says he woke him up. Just saying. You take with that whatever you will. But it says he created woman from the side of man. And I'm always so thankful whenever I'm blessed to be able to do a wedding or speak to a young couple. And I, I love that picture because what a picture of marriage he didn't make woman from man's feet that he would walk over her. And he didn't make woman from man's head that she would rule over him. But he made woman from her, his side that they would be together side by side. Equally submitted one to another. Equal in God. Unique in roles and, and obligations and callings and opportunities. Of course, unique in all of that. But notice that union is not... Adam dominates over his wife or his wife dominates over him. There's a unity here. And this is the picture of marriage. Two individuals 
Two separate people, two separate personalities, sometimes with not great communication, amen, as I'm learning this morning, coming together as one flesh. And so here we see God created woman, which led to God ordaining the first marriage. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Ephesians chapter 5, moving to the New Testament, reaffirms this. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is an intimate union between two individuals who are coming together in Christ in the New Testament, in God in the Old Testament. And again, if you had to stop here, and I, I want to do this, and this is kind of an overview, so we're going to move kind of quickly through some things. But I want to give moments for application. So here's what I want to do. If you're married here today, don't raise your hand, don't nod, don't do nothing like that outwardly. But I want you to think, would you call and classify your marriage as a union where the two individuals that come together become one, where you would say you're unified. I'm not asking if you've learned to coexist, get along. You're pretty good roommates. What I'm asking you is, would you identify your marriage from the biblical viewpoint of we're unified in Christ? Now, I know what you're thinking. Some days, yeah, and some days not. That's just humanity. That's just the fallen world. That's just the flesh. But do you strive for that kind of a unity? Do you strive where you're willing to put yourself in the back seat? Are you willing to say, even though I might be right in this moment, I'm not willing to sin against my spouse to prove it. I'm not willing to call names or bring up the past or belittle or attack or tear down. I could do that and prove I'm right, but maybe the wise thing to do which again, remember, as Christians, we're called to live wise in a wise manner. So that means sometimes wisdom says, I might be right, but it's the wrong time. Or I might be right, but if I have to sin to prove I'm right, then I'm not very right. So in that marriage, it's about understanding how can I compromise? How can I view this situation from a Christ-like point of view? Not a I'm right, you're wrong, whoever wins, wins. It's not a fight. And I know we all have conflict in our marriage. There's no marriage that doesn't have conflict. But we fight fair in marriage, and we fight fair with trying to come at it with a biblical point of view. I don't even like using the term fight. I understand what we mean when we say that. But we want to look at it from a biblical point of view. And then we have to ask the question, as I shared a, uh, probably a couple weeks ago now, a, a clip of Adrian Rogers. I love this. Am I really just filled with pride, trying to get my way? Well, pride, Proverbs says, always leads to contention. So you want a guaranteed equation for conflict, just live in pride. Think it's all about you. Want it to always be about you. And there will always be conflict in your relationship. Now, does it mean we become doormats that just walked all over by our spouse? I'm not talking about that. We can identify this is wrong and that shouldn't have happened. We can hold people accountable, but we need to do it from a biblical point of view, not a flesh point of view where it's about me getting what I want or I deserve. And we live in a culture today that's very me-central. It's all about me. Make me happy. This is why, honestly, I cannot stand Valentine's Day commercials. And I, I'm not even saying that as a joke. Like, oh, he's being funny, poking at the... No, I, I can't stand them. And here's why. Almost every single one starts off with the same premise. Guys, don't get in trouble this Valentine's Day. 
Be sure to get your wife this jewelry, these flowers, take her on this date. What nonsense. If you're here today and you need a commercial to tell you to please your wife by giving her something or taking her somewhere or treating her special, you've already missed it. And ladies, if you freak out and get all mad because your husband maybe just missed that one thing, maybe your heart's not 100% right either. Did you see how our culture has bled into our thinking? I love this passage. It also shows, as we shared, that husband and wife, you become your own new family. We glean from our parents and our in-laws. We learn from them. But we do not let our parents or our in-laws rule our family. This is a new family. Do you see that? It's new. You leave your father and mother, cleave unto your bride, new family unit. So I want to encourage you in that. If you're here today and you have children that are going to get married or have recently got married, do them the greatest blessing you could ever do and say, I am always here for you, but I will not intrude on your family. I will have no expectations that your family is now really part of my family in the sense that now I have control over it. Because you will rob your children of the blessing of learning what it is to be husband and wife. And people say, well, yeah, but, uh, you know, they're going to make some mistakes. They're going to bump their heads. Of course they are. Of course they are. And if they come to you for wisdom, give it. But be careful that we draw that boundary and say, nope, that's your family. I'm going to pray for you. I'll give you wisdom, but that's your family. So just some encouragement here from God's word. So this leads to, when we talk about the family, these roles that we talk about in Scripture. And again, we talked about this even a little bit in our churches series, talking about the bride of Christ is the church and how that applies to our idea of human marriage. Again, in the Christian marriage, we see a commitment from mom and dad to walk with Christ consistently, first as individuals, and then encourage one another in the Lord. From that walk with Christ, we discover our specific roles in marriage. So Ephesians 5. 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. This is not a derogatory term. This does not mean slave to your husbands, to do their bidding. This literally just means submit to their leadership, their headship, desire to follow their lead as you follow the lead of Christ. Now, I know what you're thinking. Maybe you're here today and you're like, yeah, but my husband isn't a Christian. My husband doesn't walk with Christ. I understand that. Then there's going to be times where you need to take the lead, mom, as a Christ follower is one who's going to make sure the kids are in church or in the word. But this is the ideal. This is what we're saying. We're talking to the ideal of how God designed it. And there's purpose in this. But husbands, you're not off, obviously, free. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And this is the picture. Husbands, loving your wives sacrificially. Wives, falling under submission to their husbands as co-equal partners in Christ, but desiring to follow the headship of the husband so that there would be unity in the home. Wives, respecting their husbands and, and loving them. Husbands, loving and caring for their wives. Do you know in Ephesians 5, the verse about wives submitting has been abused and, and beaten as far as by pastors who have used it to try to force women into submission in the form of basically marriage slavery, where you're just, you know, at his whim, whatever he says goes. It's not the point of that passage. Do you know that much more in that passage, the emphasis is on the husband to love their wives as Christ loved the church? There's so many more verses that deal with that in that passage. 
And so why is that important? Because this is the ideal that God designed. And I can promise you, and we're seeing it, not just from God's word. What do we see in our culture today when this model is not followed? Brokenness, division, destruction. And I know every situation is different. And I know there's people in this room or watching online that have gone through some horrendous things in marriage. I'm not saying that what you went through is right or okay. What I'm doing is laying out, this is what God designed. And when we follow God's design, there's beauty and there's joy. And I know you're here today and you're in a different situation. Then I would begin to pray, Lord, help me if and when that door ever opens again to have your design in mind, your blueprint in mind, and maybe help others who are in those situations as well. So from this, we see that God gives these distinctive roles to husbands and wives. And what we may do in the weeks ahead, we may maybe take some time and really unpack those specific things. But in an overview sense, this leads to the idea of from marriage, God blesses, God's blessing rather, of children. So Genesis 1.28, God tells man and woman, Adam and Eve, and God said unto them, God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply. Not only do we read this when Adam and Eve are created, at the end of the creation account we read this, but also after the flood. So fast-forwarding through Genesis, we know sin enters in. Genesis 3, uh, Genesis 4, we're going to read it in just a second here. Read about Cain and Abel. Then we read a genealogy in Genesis 5, which is a listing of kind of a family tree. And then Genesis 6 starts the flood account that goes all the way through to Genesis 9. And so the flood account, Noah and the ark, God is punishing the world for sin. He sends a global flood, not a partial flood, not a sort of flood, not a kind of flood, a global flood according to God's word. And in that, he calls Noah and his sons and their wives to build an ark. About 120 years, he preached and they got on the boat with the same group they started with. And so tell me again about how, you know, when we hear missionaries spending 20 years in the field and only seeing one convert, or no converts, churches dismiss them as not fruitful. Noah had 120 years and he ended with the same group he started with. And so this happens. So they come off the boat. They come off the ark and they're beginning to uh, move out from the ark. And God gives a renewal of this command. And notice this is the command. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. What's the calling? Have children. Have families. That's the calling. Be a family. In our world today, again, we don't see children always as a blessing. In fact, statistics tell us that more and more people are having less children, not because they physically cannot, which is obviously something to be addressed. And if you're here today and you've battled with that or you know someone that has, it's a very difficult thing to go through. And our empathy and our prayers are with you. But in our world today, there's people that could have children that choose not to out of a desire to achieve various goals in their career or their lives. And children are seen as an inconvenience to my goals, not as a blessing, which God calls them. Many of us have also seen the jokes about how much of a pain children can be and how we so desperately need a break from our kids. I just need a break. I just need some me time. Now, I understand that children can be a challenge because they're children. If you have a child who's five, who acts like he's 25, I don't know about that. Like, get to the moment, like, Father, would you like me to prepare breakfast before I go off to the office? No one sees that. It doesn't happen. 
Of course, children are work because they're children. And the blessing is God has blessed you, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, as an opportunity to come alongside that child and train them up. And children are a blessing. And I get frustrated, and I'm sure you do too, all over social media. It's like this running gag. I just need a break from my kids. If I can just get away from my kids. Oh, my kids, I just need an escape from them. Now, I understand we all need a break. We all need time to decompress and time to ourselves. However, the word is so clear. Children are a blessing of the Lord. And your time with them is priceless. When Noah arrives on the shore, God reaffirms the calling he gave to Adam, desiring for them to have children. The word also reveals that we are to not only have children and have families, but we are to teach our children about the person, work, and will of God for their lives. So what's some examples of this? Well, again, not fulfilled completely, not perfect. But here we see in Genesis 4. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought the fruit of the ground, an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the first things of his flock. These are the children of Adam and Eve. And so Genesis 3 happens. God instructs Adam and Eve how to do a sacrifice, how to perform an offering. Genesis 4 opens up with children now, Cain and Abel. And somewhere between God instructing Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, Cain and Abel now know how to do an offering. How did they know how to do an offering? Because Adam and Eve instructed them what God instructed them. And so that's a principle of as mom and dad, we take from the Lord, obviously we receive it from his word, and then we deliver it to our children. And we do this consistently. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your sons. This is speaking about the ways of God and the law and all these things. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. This is not a Sunday morning thing. This is a lifestyle thing. I'm so blessed with the children that we have in our church to hear our teachers talk about how much they love working with the kids on Wednesday night and Sunday morning. But here's the thing we have to understand. It is not the primary job of the pastor or the teachers in this church to train your children up in the Lord. We are supplemental to what you're doing at home. It is your job to train your children in the Lord and in the word and encourage them in the word. And I know children at different ages struggle with that. They get disinterested or they struggle with apathy. So don't condemn them, encourage them because you go through the same stuff. So we instruct our children, not only in the Old Testament, Ephesians chapter six, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, that word fathers there could actually, in the original word, be translated also as parents. And so what is this saying? We don't provoke our children to wrath. We don't, we don't beat them up and condemn them to the point of they just want to lash out at us. No, we train them. We discipline them. We walk with them. We encourage them. We lay before them not only a, an encouragement to obey what we ask, but we live before them the demonstration of us living that out as well. I've said it before. I worked in youth ministry for a long time. We picked up kids that were just not in a derogatory term, but we called them bus kids. They just got picked up in the van. They didn't come from a Christian home. The only Bible they were reading was when they chose to read the Bible on their own. And those kids, man, I just loved hearing those kids talk about the Lord because I knew they weren't getting anything at home. 
But they were growing because they were disciplined at 14, 15, 16 to say, I'm going to spend time with God because I want to, whether mom and dad do or not. And you know what used to really frustrate me is when kids from Christian homes would come in. And I would say things like, that's so awesome God is showing that. Have you talked to mom and dad? No, they really don't care about that. They're not interested in that. I don't really, I never see them reading the Bible. Man, you can tell your kids all day long, you should do your devotions, you should do your devotions, you should do devotions, until you model before them, you spending time in God's word and in prayer, then you'll see the change. Then you'll see the effect. Hey, mom and dad, instead of dropping your kids off the church, go with them to church. Instead of telling your kids to read the Bible, you read the Bible with them. You ask questions, you pray with them. See, that's what this is talking about. It's not just a do as I say, not as I do. It's let's do this thing together as a family. So I'm going to lay the foundation again for us simply this morning. From the beginning, God instituted the family. So God created man. God created woman. God ordained marriage. God called for them, husband and wife, to be fruitful. And God instructs parents to teach their children about him. In our world today, the family has been contorted and conformed to the worldly understanding. The world thinks that they can redefine the family as whatever they are comfortable with. And in so doing, they have lost the blessing and purpose of the family. So what is the purpose of the family? Whoops, one too many. There we go. So the family is a masterpiece of God's creation. The family unit is a masterpiece of God's creation. It demonstrates his creative power, unique roles, and how we're all called to walk with him. Marriage and parenthood reveal God's character. We emulate that before our children. And God puts children and families so that they can experience his love and learn how to love others. God knew what he was doing. God always knows what he is doing. When we think about our families and marriages with a biblical perspective, we will see them as a blessing, not a burden. We will experience more joy and contentment, not believing the lie that our marriages, our families are things to be escaped. Now, I need to say this. I know every family has issues. And some are in very unhealthy situations or circumstances. I know you're walking through that wherever you are and God is walking with you. So my encouragement is don't look to the world for counsel. Look to his word. And look for encouragement from other believers that won't just tell you what you want to hear, but tell you what you need to hear in love. And walk with you and cry with you and weep with you and pray with you and rejoice with you. When we keep our eyes on Christ in our families, we will shine for his glory. And again, it doesn't mean our children will be perfect, our marriages will be perfect. There's no such thing because there's no one perfect. But we can strive in a way that would honor him so that we would think biblically about our husbands, our wives, our children, and the time we have with them. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that as only you can, that you would work in all of this. That you would bring about glory to your name. And Father, help us to think biblically about our homes. And I, I lift up right now, Lord, just those that are watching online or those that are here in person that are in different situations, circumstances, maybe places they never thought they would find themselves. And 
I know they're wrestling with a lot of things, Lord, or there's things that are being confronted with them. They're, they're confronted with these things, rather, Lord, and, and there's different decisions they have to make and, and all these things. Lord, I know there's very unique situations here, Lord, and we did a very broad overview. So I pray that you'd help them with the application, the Lord, wherever they are, and however they can, apply these things to their life, that they would walk with you consistently. If they're married, that they would see their spouse as a blessing, not a burden. That they would see their children as a blessing and not a burden. And Lord, I just, I pray that you'd work in all of this, Lord. And again, thank you for being a God of design, a God of purpose. We don't need to run to the world to find out how to do this or that thing in our family or how to have a certain kind of family. We can run to your word, which lays forth such a beautiful picture. So I pray, Lord, that as husbands, we feel the weight of the responsibility that we carry to to love our wives as you love the church, to discipline and train up our children. Lord, for the wives here today, I pray that they would feel the weight of their responsibility and their calling to follow the leadership of their husbands, Lord, but also to be that nurturer, to care for their children. And Lord, thank you that, that mom and dad are both needed. And Lord, that, that's your design. And I know that many situations have taken away from that, Lord, for various things, and I don't claim to have all the answers in that, Lord. But I pray that you'd give wisdom to those that are in different situations to know how to apply these things. Lord, ultimately, it all starts with walking with you. So help us to model that before others, to live it out so that you would be glorified, that you would be known, and you would be glorified. Father, I pray for anyone here doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, they would come to know you today because it starts with a personal relationship with Christ. That's how we will be forgiven of our sins and know heaven as our home, to receive Christ personally by faith through grace repenting and turning from our sins and trusting in you. So, Father, do the work that only you can do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I just want to encourage you as we have a time of invitation. However God is moving, as an individual, mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, whatever God is moving, maybe you'd come. Maybe pray for your children, your grandchildren, your relationship. Lord, help me to be wise in these things, to use biblical wisdom, to see my children, my spouse as a blessing, not a burden. Whatever it is that God is doing, maybe you'd come and just bend a knee in prayer. There in your seats or at the altar, would you respond as we spend the time in worship?